even as President Biden leaves to meet with Western allies of the United States, there's trouble back home. Not since the days of Jim Crow laws have we seen such attacks on voting rights, impacting voters of color for the most part. Across the United States, a slew of what many are calling voter suppression laws are being passed. As of yet, legislators have introduced 389 bills with restrictive provisions in 48 states. This according to the Brennan Center for Justice. 22 bills with restrictive provisions have already been enacted. In addition, at least 61 bills with restrictive provisions in 18 states now moving through legislatures. 31 have passed at least one chamber, while another 30 have had some sort of committee action. A majority of the laws make it harder to vote absentee and by mail, but eight states have gone even further, passing legislation to implement barriers to traditional in-person voting as well. Many have pointed out that this GOP push is a backlash to the record 2020 election turnout, which led to the defeat of the 45th occupant of the White House, and in which a majority of voters use non-traditional methods to cast ballots because of the COVID-19 pandemic. One of the harshest of the new legislation would ban people in Georgia from offering food or drink to voters waiting in long lines. Arkansas and Montana led the country in new voting restrictions with four new laws enacted each. Both imposed or tightened identification requirements for in-person voting and added restrictions for assisting voters in returning mail ballots. Alabama, Idaho, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Oklahoma, Utah, and Wyoming have also passed laws with restrictive language. In Georgia, the new law signed by GOP Governor Brian Kemp on March 25th imposes a number of restrictions on voting in the state, earning it comparisons to the Jim Crow laws that effectively blocked black men and women from voting in the U.S. South. Specifically, the rules prevent proactively sending mail ballot applications to voters require voters to submit identification with their application to be approved and shorten the time frame for the application process to take place. Meanwhile, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin is publicly opposing the For the People Act, which passed the House in March. This bill is a groundbreaking measure designed to protect voting rights that are under attack from the GOP in several states. Along with changes to ethics rules and campaign finance laws, it would create a national baseline of voting rights, such as mandating automatic and same-day voting registration, no-excuse mail-in voting, and early voting. On Sunday, Senator Manchin published a column in the Charleston Gazette Mail where he spoke out against the For the People Act, or H.R. 1, which Senate Republicans are refusing to support as, you know, and the filibuster comes into play here. Uh, let's go to a clip now from CBS on Senator Manchin's plans. 
How much of a blow is this to President Biden's agenda? And how concerning is it to you that Manchin has vowed to keep the filibuster? Well, thank you for having me. Certainly it is a concern. I would not call it a blow. Uh, listen, the reason you saw so many people in the Democratic, um, I would say, environment, you had some who were frustrated, you had some who were pissed off, because people know the history of the filibuster. They know Strom Thurmond used the filibuster in 1957 uh, to filibuster the Civil Rights Act. And we also know that has been used as a weapon of mass, political mass destruction and a weapon of political mass distraction and also used as a drainage plug to stop progress in this country. And so when Senator Manchin's op-ed piece came out on Sunday, it caused a real ruckus, I think, uh, within so many fractions of the Democratic Party. Why? Because think about what that could mean for the president's agenda. By the way, his agenda is bipartisan because outside of Washington, D.C., most of the items he continues to advocate for enjoy above 50 percent approval. And so you look at how Democrats have were able to put Joe Biden in the White House and how we have the majority in both the House and the Senate. It's because of, I believe, the most loyal constituency in the country, and that's black voters. And when you think about what the filibuster will stop, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's the voting rights uh, legislation, it will have tremendous impact on the most consequential community in this country, black voters. Currently, the U.S. Senate is split down the middle 50-50 between Democrats and Republicans. The only advantage Democrats have is Vice President Kamala Harris's casting vote as vice president. So Manchin becomes uh, particularly important. The For the People Act, also known as H.R. 1, is intended to expand voting rights, change campaign finance laws to reduce the influence of money in politics, limit partisan gerrymandering and create new ethics rules for federal office holders. The act was originally introduced by Democrats on January 3rd, 2019. The other federal bill under consideration is the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, or H.R. 4, which intends to reinstate a provision of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 that requires states to receive federal preclearance to change voting rules. This is a provision the Supreme Court struck down in 2013. Although the provision was part of a 25-year extension of the Voting Rights Act that was supposed supported by all senators who voted in 2006, this time it failed to receive any Republican support beyond one. That's Senator Lisa Murkowski. Here to discuss all of this is someone who has spent uh, decades, it seems, working to protect the vote. I'd like to welcome back to Sojourner Truth Barbara Arnwine a veteran civil rights and human rights leader and advocate. She is currently the president and founder of Transformative Justice Coalition. For 26 years, she was the executive director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights. She received international renown for her work on the 1991 uh, Civil Rights Act uh, create, creation of the 2011 voter suppression map of shame and continues to champion civil rights issues in the areas of housing, fair lending, community development, employment, voter justice, education, environmental justice, and more. 
In 2011, Ms. Arnwine was awarded the Gruber International Justice Prize for her excellence in defending and promoting civil rights and gender equity throughout the United States and globally. Barbara Arnwine, welcome. Thank you, and it's a pleasure and honor to be on your show. Thank you so much, Barbara Arnwine. You have been doing this work of protecting the right to vote and much more, but specifically on the right to vote for quite some time now. Have you ever seen anything like what is happening now? Your thoughts it's, on this? It's, it is horrific. This is the most widespread assault on the right to vote uh, since 2011. When I did the map of shame in 2011, we had 40 states with over 140 pieces of voter suppression legislation. We're now looking at 48 states with over 369 pieces of voter suppression legislation. So this is the worst assault because people are more desperate. Uh, you know, this is the 10th year that we have been in this cycle of voter suppression. They've never relented. Every year there's been, you know, a, a, um, a whole epidemic of people putting forth, you know, these voter suppression laws. But this is the worst because they saw the power of the people. 17 million more people voted in 2020 than voted in 2016 in the midst of a COVID epidemic. And this followed on the heels of a record turnout for midterms in 2018. Uh, so they see that there is a growing public engagement and participation in our electorate uh, and in our elections. And they are, are noticing that a whole lot of those voters who are showing up are people of color and that they're young people. And they're the traditionally marginalized, the traditionally, uh, you know, uh, I would say disdained uh, voters who are now saying, well, I want to be engaged and I want to be heard and I will even risk my life in a COVID situation to vote in person if I must. Uh, so it is remarkable that, uh, that the response is not to say, wonderful, look at all of this great democracy and action, all of this great you know, public interest and all this great public participation, the reaction is to say, as they did say in uh, Georgia, we got to shrink the electorate. As they said in Arizona, we got to shrink the electorate. That means they want less voters participating. They want to block voters purposefully from being able to not only cast a ballot, but to have that ballot counted. So this is serious. This is probably the worst political moment of my life, the worst civil rights moment of my life, the worst racial injustice moment for many of us for generations. And, yes, uh, it is a threat not only to you know, voters of color and young voters, but it's a threat to entirety of all voters and all Americans. 
Right. So it sounds as though you share the alarm of people who are saying this is um, a threat to the democracy as practiced uh, in the United States. And Barbara Arnwine, I mean, there are all these laws uh, going on. There's uh, voter suppression laws being implemented and passed. It seems like a cane fire across uh, the nation, gerrymandering and and other efforts um, uh, being put in place. But also, I can't help but feel that what is going on with uh, Trump and his supporters running around uh, claiming that he should be the president, that he really won? He still was with that line as early as, as uh, this past uh, weekend. And also, yeah. the you know, the, this report that came out on the January 6th uh, insurrection, where they're not using the word insurrection uh, unless to quote um, a news article or, or somebody mentioning it. So it, it, it seems as though, and then the rise of all these right-wing um, militias and uh, racist attacks uh, on the uptick uh, against black people, the police shootings, also the uptick, by the way, of attacks against uh, Asian, the Asian community. It seems to me as though it's a whole piece of Barbara Arnwine where you really feel, I mean, me as a person of African descent yourself, you just feel under threat you know, just by not even walking out your ha- walking out the door of your home, but even inside your own home, uh, like Brianna uh, Taylor uh, in St. Louis in, in Kentucky there. So put this together for us. I mean, you're saying you haven't witnessed anything like this in your lifetime. Other black people that I've talked to, they have the same view, and people are really not only very worried, but very afraid in some instances for their own personal safety and for what it means for the future, our future living in the United States. Barbara Arnwine. Well, it's it's all of the same whole cloth. Uh, you know, I said um, two decades ago uh, that looking at the projected demographic change in this country and that this would be beca- uh, becoming a nation that would be more uh, people of color, uh, you know, in 2050 than, uh, uh, you know, white dominates and, uh, and that this would require, uh, you know, substantial structural changes in America and uh, to, you know, accommodate a different, you know, population that was voting and making and electing different kind of people and that the U.S. had two choices, right? One was to aggressively facilitate this new multiracial uh, society into being and to, you know, uh, reallocate and readjust uh, its power distribution and to recognize that, you know, right now we actually have an artificial, you know, part, uh, uh, political structure. I mean, think about it. The average uh, state legislature in this country is only about 25% women. Uh, that makes zero sense. Women are 54% of the national electorate. Uh, and not only that, uh, you know, women, of course, are more than capable of holding office. Uh, so, you know, we have these artificial realities uh, that dominate our body politic. And the same is uh, true for voter, uh, for people of color communities where they are significantly underrepresented. Just think about it. Not one state in this union has ever had an African-American woman governor, even now. Uh, so there are these, you know, just... Uh, Pressing realities that uh, that you either accommodate, you know, that change, or 
I said that you start acting like South Africa and you start imposing all kinds of restrictions and blocking you know, black voters and blocking Latino voters, blocking Native American voters and Asian voters uh, to you know, take away their political power uh, and make sure that you could have you know, artificial white domination. And those conservatives attacked me and said that I was being an alarmist, that I was you know, uh, absolutely just being, uh, you know, making up racial conspiracy. And look where we are now. I knew that this would happen. I knew that, they, that we would have you know, this conflict. And our country literally is at a divide. And I think it's important for everyone to understand that, because that's why you're seeing not only the attacks that you mentioned, but let's talk about the new attacks that have occurred since September of 2020 on truth-telling. Uh, you know, uh, the restrictions. We have seven states that have banned the teaching of the 1619 Project, that have yep. banned the teaching of African-American studies, that have banned the teaching of women's studies, that have banned the teaching of Latino studies. Seven states have done so, including Texas, including Oklahoma. And, in fact, uh, not only uh, have they done that, uh, but we have uh, eight states states that are, have laws pending to do so and more that are coming up. So this whole assault to try to keep, you know, an artificial narrative about, you know, white, uh, you know, about, you know, um, white domination in our country and to, you know, continue to try to, to dominate artificially is just unacceptable. And it's important for us to re- recognize that. But in the wash. If people just say, well, that's a problem for the people of color, no, it's a problem for all of us because in the wash, damage is being done to all voters. There's no accident that in Joe Manchin's own state of West Virginia, 71 to 79 percent of all people polled about the For the People Act support it. Why do they support it? Because they need drop boxes. Why do they support it? Because they need the ability to have absentee uh, balloting in that rule, you know, uh, state. Why do they support it? They need to have automatic voter registration. Why do they support it? They need to have you know, election day uh, registration. They know that's good for them as voters, regardless of race. And yet, at the same time, you know, you have him voting, uh, you know, his, uh, you know, voting, you know, totally outside of the wishes of his people and the people he represents. Uh, so that's, you know, the kind of contradictions. And think about this. When we're talking about the worst of the worst, I mean, it's terrible you know, that that whole ban on giving people food and assistance because they're standing in long lives because the government didn't provide enough polling places. Um, but think about this. In Oklahoma, they have a law pending right now that would require that that the registration rolls be wiped clean. Not one person who's currently registered would be considered a valid registrant. Every wow. person would be thrown off the voter registration book. Every single person, including the wow. governor, every city legislature, and they would have to re-register. Every person would have to re-register. Now, that's how desperate they got Right. And uh, Barbara Arnwine, I mean, just a few minutes we have left, you broke that down just so well, Barbara. And a lot of people are contrasting, you know, the Jim Crow era 
the new poll tax, even, you know, some of these measures uh, being a new poll tax. But Manchin is making a lot of the fact that he supports the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Advancement Act, uh, H.R. 4, which would reinstate a provision in the Voting Rights Act of 1965 that you and I have talked about before when the Supreme Court uh, gutted it. But um, is that good enough? Would that give him a pass here? Just your final thoughts on all of this and, and the broader implications, Barbara Arnwine. It's a three. He's playing three-card Monty. Um, think about it. Uh, I always say that you need both because they're bookends. You know, the For the People Act establishes uniform standards so that if I'm in uh, Maine, I have the same uh, basic voting rights in federal elections uh, if I, as if I were in Mississippi, uh, Louisiana, Texas, uh, California, Florida, you name it. We would have the same uniform rights, and nobody could take those away from me to have early voting, etc. cetera. Uh, what the John Lewis Voting Rights Act does is it says for all those other bad laws that the state might pass, uh, such as a restriction on, uh, you know, giving people food and rates or, or, you know, uh, reducing only the black uh, and brown polling sites like we saw in Cobb County in Georgia, uh, that that could be challenged in court. Uh, but you got mandatory standards on one side that uh, gives voters' assets, and then you have the protection from criminal, uh, you know, minded uh, legislatures that are trying to block people on the basis of their race uh, from participating in voting. So they're totally different, uh, and one can't replace the other. No, John Lewis Voting Rights Act will never be able to mandatorily make, you know, states have uh, election day registration or to have early voting or to have drop boxes or to, you know, uh, give people the right to vote by mail. It can't do that. Uh, all it could do is say that if you had unequal treatment on the racial grounds for the provision of any of that, that you could, of course, attack it in court. So you got proactive and you got, uh, you, know, uh, you know, this uh, really hard regimen uh, that is under the Voting Rights Act. You need both. You got to have both because no matter what you do, uh, no matter how many standards you come up with under the For the People Act, you could never anticipate the criminality of some of these legislatures that would come up with something like deregistering your voter. I mean, this is the madness that we're at, and that's why you need both people. It's urgent. It's imperative that we all stand in this moment. We stand up for democracy. Today is the anniversary, the 58th anniversary of when Fannie Lou Hamer, think about this, Margaret, when Fannie Lou Hamer was beaten and arrested, uh, you know, arrested and beaten uh, for, you know, uh, writing, uh, helping people to register to vote. And she, of course, never really recovered from that. That's why she died before she was 60 years old, uh, you know, because of that, you know, horrific uh, beating that was administered to her. People have fought so hard for this right to vote on this anniversary. Let's honor her. Let's say to Manson. Let's say to everyone, we got to get this done. We got to pass this law. We got to pass, you know, the, the For the People Act. And then we got to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and D.C. Emission. Uh, we just have to be very clear that this is our generation's time to stand up, stand tall, and fight for justice, not to allow uh, these reactionary uh, forces to try to prevent what is inevitable. We needed change. The difference between Jim Crow and 1950 is that you were dealing with racial minorities. 
uh, that had, uh, you know, uh, diminished power because of their numbers. Now we have racial majorities where people are trying to diminish their power. It's a totally uh, different dynamic, but it's so important that we fight racism in the vote. Absolutely, and thank you for that. Uh, Barbara Arnwine, for people who want to follow your work and uh, find out more yes. about what you're doing, what should they do? Oh, my goodness. They can uh, follow me on Twitter at Barb73, that's B-A-R-B-S-7-3. Uh, you can also you know, follow me on Facebook at Barbara Arnwine. I uh, am active on you know, all those platforms, LinkedIn, you name it. I'm very active, and I believe you know, so strongly in TJC, the Transformative Justice Coalition, and my mighty uh, co-partner, you know, partner, uh, Daryl Jones, as you know, chair of the board. We believe so strongly in public education, public support, public engagement. That's what we live for. We believe in an active and robust us, you know, um, democracy where every voter is engaged in protecting uh, this, you know, incredible enterprise that was conceived of so many years ago. Right. Well, on that note, I'm afraid we are going to have to leave it there. But Barbara, please come <laughs> back sometime very soon. We really appreciate your work and thank you for joining us. I know how busy you are. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate your brilliance and having uh, the way you do these and cover these very, very major important issues, not only here in the U.S., but globally. Thank you so much for having me.